You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So I'm going to start with a chant. Um, and in honor of our theme, um, the words are from the Psalms. They're pretty simple. The words are Tehom El Tehom Kore, Tehom El Tehom Kore, which means deep calls to deep. Tehom is the deep. Um, and there's an English part that um, says, um, from the deep I call to you. So it's a beautiful song. Um, but the word <coughs> Tehom which in Hebrew means the deep ocean, like the deep depths to home, is like the, you know, the ocean floor. Um, the primordial waters actually comes from um, a Babylonian goddess named Tiamat. Did I talk to you guys about Tiamat? Uh, so Tiamat was in the, um, in the Enuma Elish, um, in the creation epic of the, of the, of the Babylonians. Uh, Tiamat is the ocean goddess. She makes war against the other gods, and after they defeat her, they tear apart her body and they make the world out of it. Um, and she's described as being dragon-like. So since we're talking about warriors and monsters, I thought I would bring her in. And it's in Genesis when it says, Ruach Elohim al when the, the uh, spirit of God is, is, going, is, is fluttering on the surface of the Tehom, on the surface, uh, you know, on, on, on the deep. Um, the, 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 there's really the echo there of, of Tiamat because Tiamat is the deep, um, and you know the sort of the, the conflict has been taken out of the story. But um, but I always think about that that um, you know the world is supposed to be made out of Tiamat. So uh, so that's to home for you. And uh, and this is a really nice one by the way for Kabbalat Shabbat because it's really about letting what letting what the deep in you be with the deep in the world. Home, elder home, Corey. home, 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 That's the whole thing, first part. home, home, Oh. 
Colleague Holly Teashir wrote that chant. It's um, I really love it and um, puts me in a good mood. So uh, before we start, let's talk about our let's let's say hello and uh, uh, if you brought something for the altar, great. If you want to say something about warriors and monsters, great. Or if you just want to say your name and hi, that's fine. Um, and I'm still Jill. And um, I brought two things. Um, I brought the little sword in the middle, in the golden bag. You can see there's a little sword. It actually came with a with a with a doll of uh, that I um, that I have in my house. And uh, I would have brought my real sword. I actually have a real sword that my father brought me from Turkey. It's about this big. And whenever I, you know, am bringing objects related to warriors, that's what I bring. I have a real sword, but uh, I I couldn't bring it on the subway. It just didn't feel like a good idea. So um, um, I, I do sometimes bring it on Purim, and sometimes I get slammed. But uh, um, so I brought a little one uh, for for warriors with all the you know with all the myth that goes with that you know all the, the positive things we think about brave warriors and all the scary things about you know the fact that people hurt each other um, so that, that that can be there and I brought the bag so that anybody who just can't handle open blades being around I just thought that would help um, and I brought the amethyst because it's a dream stone it's a stone of Piece, so I thought uh, we need a little, little mellowing. So uh, that's what I brought. And protection. Yeah, so we could use that too. Mm-hmm. It's not really what I want to bring, but I'm Marlena. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I come here, I keep this woven fabric that I got in Guatemala. Uh, mm-hmm. in Guatemala, and a friend had a gallery and had a weaving loom. We started. We said, "Oh, just go try it." So. I found this book on weaving, and it's an old-fashioned one. Mm. And so because I didn't bring the cloth, we never bring the cloth, because mm-hmm. I'm always running around, and then I'm like, oh, gosh, yes, we have a class. So here it is, I weave. Beautiful. Weaving together, community, family, mm. life. Thank you. I'm Howard. I, I was, I didn't, nothing came up for mm. me to bring. I'm Jen. I brought the Buffy the Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I am a tremendous fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I always was. I used to discuss it with my niece because I didn't know any grown-up who would discuss it with me back when, back when the show wasn't as cool yet. And I just think such a, such a brilliant anthology, such a contemporary mm. version mm. of a young woman who is completely human with all the flaws and ups and downs that being a human implies and has the powers and its ability to be a warrior, to fight all kinds of demons and mm. monsters. And I, I was brilliant. I thought the writing was brilliant and off mm. And I feel it's a mythology that will endure. And it puts to shame any of the vampires. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that's my Buffy. That's great, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was kind of flummoxed by them. And I think of warrior and monster so complete. So. Oh, yeah, they are, but we're, we're going to see how they're similar, too. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> uh, I'm Arthur. I gave it a lot of thought, uh, oddly, <laughs> and I couldn't come up with a, a, a warrior system that was appropriate for me. But then today, I was reading the paper, and I said, you know what? War and warrior is often an economic fiction, mm. and economies quite often rely on, sadly, rely on war. Mm. 
so I happen to have a concrete return. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Arthur. <laughs> to, to make its presence felt for the first time in this class. Ooh. <laughs> Whoa, that's a lot of energy. Okay. <laughs> You also brought a Kali. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about Kali. Hi, Maurice. Your concerns anxiously await. Thank you. Um, I was going to bring, I didn't bring anything. I was, going to, I was thinking of bringing the various knives, which I have knives on my altar cut through the shit. Like that's how I see them. Some of the, the warrior, you know, just like cutting through the shit. Um, I also have this huge staff that for a brief moment I thought of, I mean, it was, you know, it's eight feet tall. And, but it's like, it's red and it's ugly and it goes, you know, and it's, um, um, it's like all sort of the viciousness and uh, what we would call negativity, but it's pure energy, it's pure energy. And I think that pure energy can be very powerful. So um, that's what I thought of at least. I brought the very beautiful. It was a present from the person who led me path path of spring. So it has special. It means something special, but it's also got crystal in it. It's got colors. It's got animals. It's got bird feathers. It, it symbolizes power. And I consider this aspect of Tina probably. I mean, it's like fun. Like where you really, if you get into that space, you see something different. The power that's there. I I I once enacted. And I realized that I had power. It was in me. It was still in me. You know, when I wasn't wearing the costume, it must have, you know. And so it was like a place where that maybe I could harness that power, give me energy, cut through, and to, to assert myself more in the world, more controlling of my own. Actually, what was dressed as a black bra, black underpants, had a whip. And, <laughs> and I was the, the woman that... So it was like wonderful. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, sorry. A little leather. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long way. I'm Jamie, and I brought in um, my Kali magnet too. That my my dear friend, the magnet. Uh, the little ones. Yeah, that's that's uh, Kali that uh, Noah Baumwall, you know, the Kirtan singer. Uh, it's part of his artwork. Miriam gave it to me. And um, she's the fierce warrior, but I, I don't think of her as a, I mean, she, it's, she is a creator and destroyer, and it's the two sides the, of, of life, and it's, I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking about that Bill Cosby joke when he's like talking about disciplining his kids, and he's like, I brought you in this world, and I can take you out. <laughs> okay, that's Kali in a nutshell, yeah. That's great. <laughs> We're just introducing ourselves. Do you just want to say your name and? Uh, Sorry for interruption. Uh, my name is Anne. Um. Yeah. Something about today's classes on the Shekina as creator or, or as, warrior. As warrior. Warrior. Yeah. Or warrior or slash monster. Oh. 
can't decide if I'm warrior or monster. Not <laughs> both. Mm. Um, Rebecca, I am really, I am really uh, wrestling with today. Mm. So. Okay, good that you're here. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. So I want to, re- I first of all want to really appreciate the full and honest check-in because that's actually really helping me know sort of how to frame this and, and where to go with it. Um, I wanted to do this topic for three reasons. Um, the first reason is that it's there. Um, and it's actually important for us to know that, you know, we have a tendency, um, at least in this generation in the West, to see, you know, the divine feminine goddess, you know, whatever, as the nice one. Right, the mama, right? She's good, she loves us, right? She, you know, she cherishes us and holds us. And, and there is a tremendous power to that, you know, that lovely mothering image. I mean, it's an image I resonate with, it's some other people. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful image. And when we only look at, at divine female figures in that image, first of all, we're missing a lot because in, in cultures where deity, um, you know, has gender and sometimes has female gender and in cultures where that is alive, the goddess is not always nice, right? Sometimes she's the mama and sometimes she's going to kick the crap out of you, you know? There's, I mean, the goddess of justice in Greece is female. The, uh, um, you know, the goddess, uh, there, there were, you know, the, the Medusa, right? I mean, there are, there are lots and lots of elements of the feminine that are, that are, that are aggressive, that are like Freya and the and the uh, the Valkyries, right? In the Nordic tradition, right, that are warriors, that are scary, right? That can, you know that are associated with death, um, that are angry, that are um, um, like Inanna, like the, we've talked about the you know the ancient Sumerian goddess Inanna, who um, you know she gets offended and she decides to you know she you know tears down mountains and uh, you know. She, you know, the, these are, and, and it's important for us to know this because otherwise what happens is we get this very um, flat gender stereotyped, you know, um, image of what, you know, of what the divine feminine looks like, right? It, it's sort of, you know, we take the image that fits most with the way we think women are, right, and then everything else falls away. And what's important to realize is that in cultures where, you know, these sorts of faces of deity are alive, they're as varied as human people are, right? Male faces of deity are varied, and female faces of deity are varied, and some faces of deity don't have gender. Um, and so it's, it, it, I, I just think it's an important corrective, right, to look at that stuff. So that's reason number one. Did you, did you want to say something? Oh, there's also Pele. The volcano goddess, yeah. yeah. One of my favorites when I was a kid. Um, I, I remember reading stories about Pele. Um, so that's thing number one. That We should just know like, that that's there. Uh, number two is that it's, it's not an accident that it's there because one thing that tends to happen with, um, with women and with, therefore with goddess or goddesses is that because, you know, women, of course this power really belongs to women and men together, but it often, you know, gets given to women, right? The power to create human beings, right? Gets, you know, uh, people see that as being a female power. And therefore, I think therefore, the, the idea that women are res- responsible for death also sort of ends up in the, in the consciousness. That you see this really clearly in Genesis, right? That Eve is the mother of all life. She's called the mother of all life. And what's the first thing she does? She eats the fruit. She brings death into the world. Right? It's not an accident. 
And you can look at that as a lot of different things. You can look at that as a culture that's dominated by, you know, by tribal male patriarchs who, you know, are projecting their, you know, their stuff onto women. Like, that's, that's one possibility. You can look at it from a more of, um, kind of a Freudian perspective and say, so, you know, you know, if you know that you have a beginning, right, that somebody began you, then you also know you have an end, right? So when you look at the mother, you cannot help but also think, okay, now, I exi- now I've been born and therefore I'm going to die, right? So there is a, there, there is a kind of, a kind of um, overlay. You see this in the Talmud a lot, where the Talmud talks about, well, why do women walk in front of the beer? Well, women brought death into the world. You know, so you can just see that as a, you know, as a misogyny, you know, which it is, but it may also be a really deep reflection of, sort of the psychological grappling with, you know, I, I have a beginning and therefore I have an end, right? And women get, get associated with that. They get associated with life, the life-death cycle, and that's true in a lot of different cultures. So it's important for us to, to note that, right, to understand that sometimes Shekhinah, you know, I think in some ways like the Kali in the Hindu tradition, you know, gets, um, you, you'll see, gets um, seen as scary, you know, even though she's also the good mother, uh, because of this, because of this tension between um, seeing the woman as the source of life and also seeing her as, you know, in some way being scary, in some way having, you know, bringing finitude, you know, into the world uh, in a way that is, is frightening. So that's number two. And number three is that it's in us too, right? It's important to, right, we have, right, all of us have aggression, right? We all have survival instinct, right? We all have um, anger, right? Those things are part of us. And believe me, if you read the Torah, they're part of God too. God spends, you know, a good 40% of the time being pretty mad. <laughs> so, you know, and, you know, us, you know, th- those of us who, you know, are neo-Hasidim, you know, we, we like to not read those parts or we read them differently. But, you know, it's there. It, it's there. It's there, you know, in the stories because it's in us. Uh, so what do we do with that? I mean, I remember teaching about this in front of Lynn Gottlieb, Rabbi Lynn Gottlieb, who's a great pacifist, and her face just looked more and more pained. And it was like, Jill, stop, you know, just stop talking about this. Um, and I had no desire to pain her. But, you know, in my own life, just because of the unique you know, circumstances that I've faced, when I was a kid, the warrior image was an important image for me. It wasn't that I wanted to hurt anybody or that I desired to, you know, to, but, but the, to go out and, you know, engage in warfare. I, di- I didn't and I don't. But there was something about that image that was important for me because it gave me, a, sort of like what Judy said, it gave me a different sense of myself. It gave me a different sense of what was possible, that I could stand up to things that were bigger than me. Um, and there were various moments in my life when I had to do that. Like I had to find some you know, place in me that, you know, that could do that. And I think those moments have made this image sort of one that I, you know, that I... Hi, come on in. One that I want to approach. And since we have looked at the Shekhinah as victim, right, we have looked at the Shekhinah as refugee, right, I think it's maybe also useful to look at the Shekhinah as the one who holds power, right, and, and what do we do with that? Yeah. Um, in the Kohanic when you were attacked for being anti-feminine cause, we were just doing, it was like a woman's thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that was your first thing, and it all fits all three, that 
that this is a very complex, not just women doing nice women things. Right. That, that it, it does expand the picture and, and, and makes it fully human. Yeah. I actually see this a lot when I read feminist theology, that people assume, oh, you're into the divine feminine, you must think that women are only one thing. Right, and you just you know you think that women are the compassionate ones, and that's why you want to worship women. No, I mean in the in the, in the ancient world, believe me, pe real people who have real God images that are female, they're very diverse. They're not all one thing. There's Kuan Yin, who's incredibly compassionate and loving, and will love you no matter what you do, you know. And then there's Durga, who you really better watch out for because um, she you know holds all seven powers of the great deities, and she's going to use them to rid the world of demons. Um, I should say one more thing related to the, I mean, Kali and Shekhinah are not directly related, right? They come from cultures that are not directly cognate, although some people think that there was some, you know, some dialogue. Um, but I will say, one thing about Kali is that at least as she's understood in the contemporary world, right, as warrior, she's less, you know, just killer than she is, she's the destroyer of illusions, Right? She is the one who allows you, you know, as Judith said, to cut through the, you know, cut through the crap, right? Um, and so you'll see if you think that Shekhinah has that quality also. Um, I think in the Hasidic tradition that tends to come up a little bit. Yeah. I just want to say, you know, what's interesting for me is because I don't have problems with power, you mm. know, I think power is um, an admirable thing, mm. that I feel that the demonization of women mm. is because the culture wasn't able to accept power mm -hmm. and so therefore they created monsters and I think that's the yeah. piece that upsets me yeah. is the rejection that women are powerful um, for you know, what they believe in justice and all that right. as men and that they became demonized because right. so that's my that's I guess that's my hypothesis and I'm hoping you're going to prove well, we'll see. Um, most of the texts we're going well, you know, it's complex, but most yeah. of the texts we're going to look at are warrior texts. A few of them are monster texts. I actually really love them. Like, I don't, I, I, I find the, well, the Lilith texts, I think, really could, are candidates for demonization. I mean, I really think they are. One of the texts I'm going to show you, which is not a Lilith text, it's a Shekhinah text. She's described as this immense being who swallows mountains and rivers and, you know, and, uh, you know has hair that is made of spears. And, and I actually find it a really cool image because it, it's just, it's, it's so wild. And I think it, it, because they have such devotion to the Shekhinah, it's just interesting for me to watch them sort of look at the other side of, so what does it mean to have this infinitely um, embodied presence, um, involved, engaged being? Like, what is the other side of that? Like, what does that look like? Um, when, uh, so we'll see if we think it's a demonization, if, if that text is a demonization of women. I'm curious to see what you all think about that. Okay, ready? All right, let's look. Yeah. Oh, hi. hi. Sorry, I'm late. That's okay. Welcome. So I put something on the sacred square. Oh. I did something that was, um, yesterday I did something sacred but very warrior, aggressive, oh. and cruel. I did a hot, my first Hatafat Dambrit, bloodletting uh, as a part of a conversion for a two-year-old. Oh. So um, I drew, I pricked a kid's penis with a needle in it. And I did it as a sacred act. I used uh, local anise and my cream, so he didn't feel it, but it was really hard. It was really, um, it, oh, on any level, it's barbaric. 
it's a barbaric but sacred act. Mm -hmm. And it's really Lena as monster. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. It was really monster. Mm -hmm. I almost couldn't do it. Thank you. Interesting. Wow, <laughs> wow. The kid didn't even feel it. That's the mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe the parents did it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's wow. really act of sacred faith, yeah. Thank you for bringing that to me. Wow, yeah, thanks that's for powerful. letting me do, you know, the therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So it's real. It's really yeah. here. It is real. <laughs> All right. So let's look at page 66 of your packet. Actually, where I want to look at the third text first, and that's um, the third one in the Hebrew, but it's actually um, on page 67 at the bottom. If you want to look at the English, that's okay. So, you see where it says, What shall I do for her? All right, um, does somebody who has it easily uh, want to read it for us? Oh, and I want to say one thing before you read, because otherwise it would be confusing. I don't know if, have we encountered the word matronita before? So. All right, matronita sound, is like what it sounds like. It means lady. Um, and uh, matronita is a, is a word for Shekhinah. And it's often particularly a word for her in her queen slash warrior aspect. Um, so just so you know what that is. Yeah. And you didn't get to say hello. Oh, oh, oh. Graham. Graham, do you want to just do you want to just say hello or anything? Sorry, hello. <laughs> do you, you want to say anything about tonight's topic that is up for you? Uh, no, I can't think of anything. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. All right. Um, who was reading? Thank you. What shall I do for her? Do we have a reader? Okay. Thank you. What shall I do for her? Well, look, my entire household is in her. He issued a proclamation. Henceforth, all affairs of the king are entrusted to Metra. He placed in her control all his weapons, lances, swords, bows, arrows, catapults, fortresses, stones, all those warriors as it is. Behold the bed of Solomon, sixty warriors surrounded, all of them skilled with a sword. <coughs> From now on, anyone who needs me cannot until he notifies me. Consequently, all is honor. All is honor of Metron. In front of her, here warrior, catapult, lancemen, revealed in front of the other camps are coming wage war against Ralph. Okay. So this is from the Zohar. Um, and essentially in this text, um, the Holy One of Blessing, right, who's, you know, running the show, right, the, 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 um, the Tiferet, the, uh, the central, um, central sphere of God, um, is is making Malchut, right, is making Shekhinah the, um, you know, the, um, the, the Grand Vizier, you know, is, is, is putting her in charge of, you know, making her the Secretary of War, right, he's putting the Secretary of Defense, right, he's putting her in charge of, of defense, and he says all affairs of the king are entrusted to Matronita. Now, Kabbalistically, this means that Malchut, being the bottom sphera, right, we've, we've talked about this before, right, is the channel Right, through which right, everything passes between the worlds. 
Right, so that's what it means when it says, right, you don't talk to me unless you talk to Maltranita, right? I, I, right, I'm not, right, my office door is closed. Right, you want something, you know, talk to her. She's my gatekeeper. Um, um, in, this, in this particular text, she's not just the message bearer, right, but she's also the commander-in-chief, right? She's taking care of all the troops. Um, and this quote from Song of Songs, just so that it, there is a quote in Song of there is a passage where... Uh, there's a procession of King Solomon and there are 60 warriors and he has this palanquin. And so this is the quote. Um, we, you actually say this, it's interesting that we're here, you actually say this as part of the Hever Kadisha, as part of the liturgy, uh, that, the, that the person should be surrounded by the angelic protective forces. Uh, so you actually say this verse uh, to uh, prepare a body for, for burial. Um, so, but here they're using it as a proof text for like the bed of Solomon. So, who is the bed of Solomon? In the Zoharic imagination, the bed of Solomon is the Shekhinah. Right? Solomon is the is the Holy One of Blessing, right? And and the, and his right his consort is the Shekhinah. Um, and so she gets control of all these warriors. Why, and why does she need warriors? It says at the end of the passage. Because I think wage war is the defender. Right. Right. Hmm? From above. Right, it's not even just that people are going to, um, right, are going to oppress the Jews on, right, on earth, but there are, there are I, I think I would say demonic forces, right? There, are, right, there are, there are hidden forces that are arraying themselves against the Jewish people, and the Shekhinah therefore has to command this army, right? therefore has to defend. So remember when this is being written, right? This is being written in the, in the middle of, mid, of Europe in the Middle Ages, Right, so right, it's it's not an easy time for the Jews. Right, it's not hard for them to go to the imagery of forces being arrayed against them. Right, in fact, there were lots of forces arrayed against them. Zohar, it's written in uh, in northern Spain, northern Spain. Yeah, so you know it. It it wasn't a good time. It was uh, there were there was beginning to be a lot of pressure for Jews to convert. Um, it was, um, you know, it, there were cru the crusades were happening in, in this time period. Right? This was actually a really hard time for the Jewish people. Um, so they were looking for somebody to save them, yeah. be the warrior. Yeah, and in the, for the most part, they didn't have the opportunity to do it in any physical way, right? For the Jews were not in, in this time period in this place, right? Jews did not have weapons, so this is a, you know, so they're they're imagining this as a spiritual battle, right? The Shlina will battle for them in the in the hidden world. Um, anything else strike you about this? What shall I do for her? So, right, what shall I do for her? Meaning, um, so God wants to do good things for her, right? God wants to make her, God wants to make her honor great on earth, right? And therefore, right, she uh, right, makes her the channel for this protective power. I heard a voice over here well, somewhere. Yeah. All is in honor of her, and that's mm -hmm. what we Right. right, that there's a way, and this is interesting, right, that God is, a, that at least in this text, what's imagined is that by giving her military power, God will increase her honor, right, that she will be respected right, because she will have all this, and she will have all these forces at her command. Okay. I wonder if that um, might reflect reality, mm -hmm. where, the, where the Jews erosion, right. um, had, um, did not have access to mm -hmm. any of the Right, right, sure. I think I should also say something about royal women. There were ways in Europe that royal women had certain dispensations, like they could do things like wage war, right? I mean, they didn't necessarily put on armor, mm -hmm. but 
right? If you were right a queen, right, you had certain not, and I'm not even just talking about the privileges of royalty, but you had certain gender privileges that other women did not have because you had power, right? So that's also being depicted here, right? That that as the queen, right, she has access to certain um, things that most women do not have access to, right? She 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 gets a different role in society because she's the because she's the matronita, she's the queen. All right, so that's one of the depictions, and there there are actually a number of passages like this. I just I just picked this one, but there are, there are a number of passages where she's depicted this way. So I want to look at a second one. This is actually the first text. So it begins on page sixty six. Just turn back one one page. This is a different shchina as um, I'm not sure about warrior, but certainly a, a shchina as a, as a being on a quest. Um, and it's actually wonderful because. Tonight is the first of Nisan. It's Rosh Chodesh Nisan tonight, which is a new year, by the way. Um, it's uh, the beginning of, 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 of spring in the Jewish calendar. Um, and it's the day on which the tabernacle was completed. So it's cool that we're reading this text tonight because, uh, because it's, it's her anniversary. So on the first of Nisan, the tabernacle is finished, right? The people finish all the things they're making. Moses puts up the tabernacle. God enters the tabernacle. The way that the Kabbalah understands that is that the Shechina enters the tabernacle on the first of Nisan. She's been waiting, right? God has been waiting for a place to put this aspect of God's self, right? And now she has a house, so God, sent, God um, you know, sends her. Um, and um, the, uh, both the demons and the angels are very unhappy about this. Very unhappy that the Shechina is going to earth because heaven is now losing one of its jewels. And, uh, you know, the people are the humans uh, who neither angels nor demons are that fond of, apparently, um, are, are gaining an advocate. Uh, so this is also from the Zohar. Um, Jane, you want to read uh, when the tabernacle was completed? When the tabernacle was completed and the Shechina a celestial Satan stood at her side and covered her face with a veil of darkness to prevent her from finding her way down to earth. And the thousand five hundred myriad angels were around her. A multitude of exalted angels flew up before the throne of the Holy One and said, Lord of the world, our splendor and radiance comes from your glory. And should she now descend to those below? But in that hour, Shekinah gathered up all her strength and breaking through that darkness, like one breaking strong barrier, came down to earth. As soon as they saw the scenes mightily, oh God, how powerful is mm. My dear Shimcha B'chol Ha'art. Oh, what, what, what made the transition? What, I, don't, mm. I didn't understand that. She, they were processing, processing, we mm. didn't go down, and then, what, and then what made it? She breaks in the breath she, canal. She, gets there. she <laughs> gathers up all her strength and she pushes through. Pushes through the barrier. And so they see, they see, they witness that. Right. And are impressed. Yes. Yes. Doesn't it sound like breath being born? It does sound like being born. <laughs> that's interesting. Huh? Like, oh, yes, yes. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. Wow. So on Sinai, right, there's this very, oh, and in the tabernacle also, there's this very thick cloud, right? So there's something here about the darkness, right? About the thick cloud. Um, well, so what does this make you think of? Like, this is an interesting narrative for entering the tabernacle, right? This was not, this isn't in the text, you know, that's kind of interesting, right? That there are forces preventing divinity from entering the world. You know, there's something for me very, that rings very true about that, right? If you think about the barriers in your own consciousness to actually being transparent to anything, right? There's, uh, you know, when you think about, like, 
I mean, from the mystic's point of view, right, sitting and, 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 and trying to experience the divine, you know, what's the first thing that happens when you start meditating? You think thought. Meow, 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 meow. Right? Right? Instantly, there is resistance. Instantly, you think, oh, I should be doing something else. I should be doing the laundry. I should be, on, I should be checking Facebook, you know. And, um, right? and then, you know, you clear that stuff away, and then it's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and I hate myself, and all you know, right? And then, then that stuff comes up. You know, you clear that away, and then you're like, oh, I'm bored, you know. <laughs> right? That, that's just the nature of meditation or prayer. So, you know, so I'm, I'm finding this text kind of satisfying, right, that God is having the same problem, right? right? But the Shekhinah is trying to enter the world, right? It's trying to come be with us, and instantly... The Satan, okay, so you, um, this term is probably not familiar. Um, so this doesn't mean Satan is in the Christian Satan. I mean, it is the same word, but in the, in the Jewish conception, Satan is just another functionary of the heavenly court. Right? Satan is the accusing angel. Satan is around to make sure the people who deserve to be punished get punished, and Satan is always very eager to accuse somebody of having done something wrong. So, you know... Um, uh, like, for example, at the Akedah, so Satan is, is running after uh, Avraham to try to convince him not to, you know, not to do the, uh, the offering. Um, right? the, is it judgment? Yeah, it's, like the, it's, it's almost like Satan is like the split-off part of God that's sort of vindictive. You know, like, Satan really is there to quote-unquote do the right thing by making sure the people who deserve it get justice. Right? But Satan is sort of against compassion. Right? Satan is always trying to interfere with God's compassion. Like, doesn't want doesn't want fallible human beings to get too much, you know, to sort of, to get too much mercy. Yes, yes. And, and, and plays exactly this role, right, is accusing Job, you know, oh, he, uh, you know, you think he loves you so much, but if he, if he were suffering, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be so, uh, you know, he wouldn't praise you so much. Uh, so here the Satan is actually, it's like an opposite of a wedding. Like he's veiling the Shekhinah to keep her away from you know, the, uh, the chuppah, right? And then all these accusing angels who are basically um, Satan's bureaucrats, you know, are, uh, are flying around her. And what they're saying is, right, uh, you know, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, what's, what's their argument? We need to that. What about us? Like she's supposed to be, you know, here so that we can experience her glory and be part of her glory. Now, now you're sending her to them. You know, who, you know, what are those things? You know, like walk her. Right. <laughs> right. Means they're going to be left in darkness. Right. They're going to be. They're going to be left without her. Right. At least that's their fear. Right. 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 Right, right, right. They assume that if she's going down there. Yeah, I, uh, I find this really fun. Um, and so, so what does the Shekhinah have to do? So what, it doesn't say actually that, that the Holy One rescues her, right? It doesn't say that, um, right, that, you know, God tells the angels, hey, cut it out, you know. Um, it's almost as if the barrier is a necessary barrier. You know, that, that somehow this is part of the process, that she has to break through this thing. Um, and she has to push through the barrier of this darkness. About, you know, giving birth. Yeah. You know, the birth canal, and I know we just hear him, but I, I also know that, that there's something that goes on 
that's good for the fetus coming out birth canal vaginal. Mm -hmm. So I'm one that's sort of like I mean I that's not what they were thinking. That's of, interesting. But I, yeah. You mean that the squeezing is actually something good for it actually I allows the happens, you know I'm, you yeah. know but there's bacteria something there there's hormone what part of the bacteria that gives birth to yeah, right yeah but but I think the, the the natural way it tends to be better than although it seems like having gone through with it maybe if somebody just plucked it out without having the labor pains be nicer but there's something no it's actually um I, I mean I remember learning about this in birthing class and also Shoshana was born by cesarean section and she said she couldn't get her breath but there's something about the yeah, that, the the the, so the, the contractions that actually empties the lungs. It's um, a baby trying to get out. Yeah. Into the lungs. yeah. Yeah. Yes, we should ask Judy about this, but uh, um, but anyway, I mean, I I, 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 I don't think anyone knows the answers to this. No, no, but I'm just theoretically. But um, I didn't actually see the birth image in this, um, but I do now. I do now. Um, but I, but I, but I love this image of her breaking through. You know that she has to, she has to push through. There's a, there's a heroic, right? Sudden, yeah, Judy, I, there, there's, there's a, there's a heroic element to her that's sort of interesting and very and different from. Remember when we saw the Shekinah weeping, right? Where, where she's more of a, right, like, um, like a figure that evokes our empathy, right? And here, right, there's, there's a heroic quality to her, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all her strength. Yeah. She has a goal and she's... Right. She's, she's very determined. She wants to get down there. You know? Right. I like the tough part. Yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like, you know, hey, they built this place for me. I want to come and fill it, you know? I mean, right. you can understand her motivation. Right, right, right. And it's like she's siding with them, right? Again, like, even though the angels want her to stay, she's like, no, this is my home and that's where I'm going, you know? Um, there's, so there's something powerful reading this as a person, right? Feeling like, oh, right, the Shekhinah wants to come and live with me. You know, she wanted, she would rather be here than up there. You know, that's so, is, it, so, is, so is, is this about, you know, if you pair appropriate, then you will receive? I mean, the house, the pairing the house, and then, you know, is this a metaphor for the human being himself? And so that, that, that it's not only that, that, that we want we want God and Athena, but Athena wants us. She, oh, yes. She very much wants to fill the house yeah. to be open. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think that's definitely here. You know, and I think it's also a model of what you have to do to get into the house, right? That it's not so easy, right? It's, you know, you can make the space, but it's actually a struggle, right, to have the meeting, the encounter happen, right? The encounter actually has to, um, there has to be a certain amount of, uh, of, of force and energy applied, right, to, to get through, you know, the, you know, whatever's in the way, right, to uh, the place. No, 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 it's her too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I mean, I find that interesting. So yeah. the Tom character yeah. is the interesting thing, if, if, and this is in my limited mind, if Satan is anti-chesed mm -hmm. for the word dick, right. and in order for the Shekhinah to break through, it actually has to characterize these same kind of traits mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the chesed, oh. is, right, mm -hmm. so that has to embody that which is telling her not to go. Right, right. So, That's, so she actually has to, in response, right, she, she actually has to have some givora. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, it also show, it shows also the double edge that the tradition has around Gibura, right? It's a problem, but it's also a necessity. You know, and you know the, the the mystical tradition and even the Talmudic tradition is always bouncing back and forth between judgment is a is horrible, judgment is necessary, right? Um, and it's um, really um, you can really see the human struggle with what do we do with you know with the severity in the world? Like, do we reject it? Do we embody it? Do we like how, you know, what are we supposed to do with this? You know, which is, you know, continues to be a pressing question. Um, okay. So I want now to look at um, the middle text here. And this, is the, and this is the monster text. And this is a very small piece of it, I should say. There's, there's more of it, and I'll tell a little bit more of what's there. Um, this is also from the Zohar. Um, in this text, just so that nobody gets confused, the Shekhinah is referred to as the moon. That's one of her names, is the moon, uh, Sihara, the moon. Um, and also Chochmat Shlomo, the wisdom of Solomon, is another name for her. Uh, and they're talking about the power of the Shechina when the temple was standing. Like when, right, they went out of the, right, when they stopped having the Mishkan and they built this big temple that was centralized. And, um, and they're, so they're talking about the power of the Shechina in those days, when the, when the Solomon's temple was standing. Um, so does somebody want to read this one? Thank you, Jamie. Rabbi Shimon answered, Come and see. In many places we have discussed that wisdom of Solomon is the name of the moon when she is full and blessed by all. This is why it says she was greater, or she grew in the days of Solomon, because she increased and was blessed and became full. We have learned that a thousand mighty mountains standing before her just one bite for her. A thousand great rivers she swallows in one gulp. Her fingernails clutch a thousand and seventy shores. Her hands grasp twenty-four thousand shores. Nothing can get away from her to this side. Nothing can get away from her to another side. Thousands and thousands of shields are tangled in her hair. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lucian, <laughs> the image of the Egyptians drowning in the sea, and and just everything, you know. Spinning in the in, in the waves and things flying everywhere. And that's that's like her hair. That's like mm. you know. Wow, that's it. Yeah, there's a, there's the, this passage goes on to talk about they're shooting comets coming out of her hair, mm. and there's this man <laughs> with a whip who comes out from between her legs, and that's Metatron, like the like the uh, you know the angel, uh, you know the the uh, sort of um, divine messenger angel, and it, I mean it just goes on and on and it's wild. I mean it's just it, it gets you know crazier and crazier. She just becomes bigger and bigger and has more you know stuff going on in her. Um, yeah. So what do you what what is what do you think about when you read this? With this metaphor for the moon mm -hmm. having grown and increased and expansive fullness, that that's see the Shekhinah as an aspect. Mm. That the Shekhinah too grows, expands, and um, goes comes to a fullness. That hmm. yeah, yeah. They see her as waxing and waning. Absolutely. So here they're talking about her in her fullness, right? But they, you know, there are other moments phases. when she is uh, other phases of her existence. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. But what who else? Who was she blessed by? She was blessed. They kept saying, "When she is blessed, she is blessed." She blessed by God, or she did blessed by us to create her in coming. Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the moon does get blessed when it becomes full by us. So I think here blessing means that she has her house, right, and she's in communion with 
with uh, the Godhead, you know, which they would, you know, the, they see that as her ideal state, right, when she's in connection. Uh, and she's, you know, when she's in the temple, she's in connection with the other spherot. Um, but I, there could be an allusion here to being blessed by us because the, the full moon receives a blessing. That's, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's an important piece of, of ritual. Yeah, it's almost like she's like time, you know, or something like that. You know, she's like, she eats everything, you know. I mean, there's sort of a vagina dentata image here, you know. It's like, oh gosh, look out, you know, she eats rivers and mountains and planets, you know, be careful. Um, you know, and it's almost, I mean, I, you know, I almost think, and, you know, and it's sort of like she's the ocean, you know, her fingernails are climbing out of the, out of the, you know, rivers and, you know, grabbing things. <laughs> it's, it's kind of grotesque as an image, but it's also amazing, you know, it's, it's like the, the enormity of her, right, and the, uh, you know, that she's, and she's in the landscape, right, it's the mountains and rivers that she's eating, right, it's, it's, uh, you know, she's, she, seems to almost represent the erosion of the landscape when she's full, like she, she, she devours. Um, Which does happen, I guess, when the rivers are full, they overflow the banks and they destroy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's her nature. I think here there is a, there is a, there is a nature piece here. Yeah. yeah, that she's the, you know, she is that which changes, and, you know, change means destruction. You know, there's a, there, I think that there is that, that here. The days of Solomon mean when the temple, when the, Solom the Solomonic temple is standing, and Solomon is seen as having a particular connection to the Shekhinah, like Moses, like he's seen as having like this this particular relationship with her. So there is um there's a, a wholeness to her connection to the divine and the human in the days of Solomon that she maybe doesn't have later on. Right, 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 right. But it's interesting to me, and I have some thoughts about this, but not complete thoughts, so I'm curious to know what you guys think. But, you know, you'd think that in the days of Solomon, when everything is wonderful, they'd be describing her as, you know, full and happy and radiant and making right. new souls. And, like, so, and all of a sudden, she's like a monster, you know, so, so what's going on? You know, why, uh, you know, why is this the image of the, you know, of the Shekhinah in her power? It's like, don't you know? So some of it is, right, it could be either self-soothing or, right, scaring right, other people. You know, don't mess with us because the Shekhinah is really, really powerful and she can eat you. So, you know, you know, you know leave us alone. Um, so it could be that. You know, it could be the, the, you know, the sense of her as defender. So it's, I think it's maybe the yeah. same point, but if your defense, the defenses may have been down in the day of Solomon. Mm -hmm. the, day of David, in the days of David, everything was war. So mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're uh, geared up. Mm. And when mm. you, you know, close to it happens, societies would get, you think you're these times, it has to be more vigilant. That's, the that's, that's great. That's great. So in, so Solomon's actually in a time of peace, so there has to be this sort of very scary power figure who represents the, what will happen after that, right? Sort of what, you know, what might be around the corner. That makes a lot of sense to me. Another element of that is that in a time of peace, you can be so at peace that you destroy yourself. Mm -hmm. And you just mm -hmm. um, become... Words to the wise. Mm -hmm. yeah. You become what? You almost Because mm -hmm. there's no activity to work towards, and there's just like the energy needs is displaced. There's no place to put the tension yeah. or to, to, like, to put the conflicts. Yeah, like yeah. in Caribbean islands, oh. when they should be really happy about living there, but they're all 
bored and doing drugs. Wow. 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 But it's wow. also, it's looking back on that time as if it were that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When it's written. They're also poverty. They're also poverty. They're also poverty. They're also poverty. Oh, over there. Can it be just... Can it be just as simple as, I don't see it as any of these mm-hmm. things as being uh, monstrous okay. or... I, I, why can't it just be that the, the fullness of the Shekinah blossoming forth? Hmm. Hmm. In other words, so that, that including all of it, not only the sweetness in life, but the, yeah. the power. Yeah, I like what you're saying. You know, that we could really, you know, we don't have to see this as negative, right? We could actually, in the context of the Zohar, view it as this is a good thing, right? She's strong, she's powerful, she's, you know, she's in her fullness. You know, she's also eating mountains, so, you know, that's, you know, I find that a little ominous, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think, I think the Zohar really is, well, really is building her up, you know, as a, um, you know, as a force that will defend, you know, the, the Jewish people and will defend the good. And the other thing I want to say about it is that I also see here, like, this sense of, um, thanks, Jamie, so we talked earlier about Kali and about this, uh, the way that she gets used in meditation as the force that defeats demons, right? The force that, you know, cuts through illusion. And I'm looking at this text and remembering that the people who wrote the Zohar, you know, were sitting in meditation with these images, right? That's probably where these images were coming from, was mystical discussion, right, and experience. So if what, they're, if what they're imagining, right, is this big, you know, um, mother force that, you know, that eats mountains, you know, what they're seeing, right, is, you know, is the devouring of the physical world, which actually is part of mystical experience, right, is to suddenly see that actually this is all energy and it's all atoms and it's not really here. And, right, right there's a... Uh, they didn't know what right, the earthquake right, is. Right, and all right. of a sudden where they're mountains. Thank you. You know, there's now a valley or something. Right. You were trying to put a label on something that they had no, no ability to do. Right. So they said more that, you know, it's wow. cold. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like a wow. Yeah, I see the earthquake. I see the earthquake here. Yeah. Wow, that's really powerful. Yeah. One way to think of it is to devour or destroy. Mm-hmm. But another way I saw it just is the image of eating fully incorporate something mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I look at mm-hmm. it that way, this simply is that there is nothing too big that can nice. fully and completely mm-hmm. incorporate. Mm-hmm. Cool. That she is still bigger. She can hold it fully. Right. Cool. And in a strange way, I find that comforting. Yeah, that's yeah. that's great. I actually I really like that. I like that. Yeah, that she absorbs everything. That's great. And I just want to yeah. add this yeah. piece that I'm thinking, well, you know, God created the earth, the whole earth, you know, every part of it. So that's claiming it, <coughs> or that as Jane says, that she incorporates it, it feels like, you know, there's energy in the in nature that is God, you know, is mm. God force. Is, and so the Shekinah is that nature to return. Mm, mm, wow, I like that. I love that. That this is kind of becoming one with. You know, right. that's that's great. Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's still with all of that which I like. Everything still the way it's written. Words cho- yeah. chosen. It's not you know you get the sense of rapacious and grabbing. Yeah. It, there's something else. Yeah. Well, on. she's you know this like is. What Marie said floods yeah. and earthquakes. Yeah. I mean, right. it, it could be tornadoes. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Right. She, she's not, you know, she may be good, but she's not nice. You know, it's not the, right? This is not the, but yeah. I think what you said about they may be, these may be the images that come to their mind as they let their, you know, this happen to them without pre-verbal kind of effort, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the Zohar, I mean, I think if, you know, you miss something if you don't read it as, you know, the, you know where they get these images? You know, they're meditating on biblical texts and, like, this is what they see. You know, so if we, you know, these are images that are coming out of their shared prayer experience. Um, you know, if we wrote a text based on our shared, you know, prayer experience and imagery, you know, who knows what we'd come up with. You know, it would, you know, there would be images from our unconscious that would just pop up, you know, and then we would, you know, they would be there and, you know, we would, you know, we would have them. We would talk about them. It would be pretty cool. Maybe for our last class we should do that. New adult education. I am a big fan of practical mysticism. I think that studying this just as an intellectual topic is not what they wanted. I think that's... Um, it's huh? it's oh, oh, yeah. I mean, they were doing practical stuff. This is, you know, this is a record of it, but they were doing it, you know, and they expected their students to be doing it. You know, it wasn't like they wanted you to study Kabbalah. They wanted you to do Kabbalah. You know, that was, uh, that was how they understood it. All right, so let's do a little bit of Lilith. Let's see. How much time do we have? All right. Ooh, we don't have a lot of time. Okay, five minutes on Lilith. Five, seven minutes on Lilith. I know, I know. Um, okay, boy, Lilith. Okay, this is the on one foot. Um, Lilith is thousands of years old. She existed in Babylonian culture, Sumerian culture, even before. She's mentioned once in the Bible in Isaiah, um, but it's not clear if it means the demon Lilith or it means like an animal called the Lilith, like an owl. Um, she's mentioned as a demon in early, early um, in ancient Near Eastern literature, um, and she becomes part of the Jewish corpus of myth. Um, in the Talmud, mentions her as a demon who steals. You know, you know, you shouldn't sleep alone in a in an abandoned house because Lilith will come and get your sperm. Like there's a whole like she just has a whole um, you know baby uh, you know uh, sperm stealing industry. And uh, she's also a baby. She also steals babies. So, you know, if you wanted an explanation for SIDS, you know, you had Lilith. You know, there she was. So she starts out without much of a narrative, but as a demon. And in fact, you can find from the same time period these bowls called uh, incantation bowls. They were basically demon traps. They were, they were pottery bowls. You would write the spell, like, in the bowl, and then you buried them at the corners of your house, and then the idea was like a roach motel. The demon fell in, it couldn't get back out. Um, and a number of these bowls are dedicated to getting rid of Lilith. Um, so, this is the kind of thing we do at Kohanadish. We make incantation bowls. Um, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Well, we, we all have demons, you know. It's, it's, it's good to have... <laughs> well, I guess she either she had to stay in the bowl or you went and emptied it out. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, you're not that far off. The, the Kabbalah um, would um, have also these amulets written that would, would show Adam and Eve in a circle and Lilith on the outside. Um, oh, oh, okay. I hope it's not emergency. Um, and, um, yikes. Sorry, it's hard for me to move with the wires here. Thank you, Marlena. I really appreciate that. Just put it behind. Yeah. Um, Lilith. In about the... You said Adam and Eve. 
Okay, I'm going to explain. Yeah, I have to explain that. that like, um, let, me, let me do something else first. So in the early Middle Ages, a legend was told about Lilith, which might even actually have started out as a joke. It's in the alphabet of Ben Sira, which is kind of a sarcastic text, but it became very, very popular. And in this legend, Lilith is the first woman. Now, the reason for this is a midrash that says, right, it, remember there are two creation stories, and the first one says, right, man and woman were created in the image of God, right? And then the second one says man is created and then a woman is created out of the man. So there's a midrash that says, oh, it was two different women. Like in the first creation story, they were created equal, and then that didn't work out. So in the second one, God had the woman created out of the man. So in the alphabet of Ben Sirah, they say the first woman is Lilith. She says to the man, I want to lie on top. Adam says, you can't. Lilith says, fine. She, she utters the divine name, grows wings, and flies away. Um, Adam says to God, you know, now I'm lonely. You know, the woman you gave me to be with, you know, gave to be with me flew away. So God makes Eve. Um, and Lilith goes to live in the sea of reeds. And three angels go to bring her back. And she says, I don't want to go back. Um, and basically says, I want to be a demon instead. And so the, uh, you know, they say, well, then a thousand of your babies will die every day. And Lilith says, fine. Uh, and so she becomes the you know, demon of, uh, you know, of, of you know, childbearing woes. Uh, but of course, you know, in the, you know, when feminists discovered this story in the 1970s, they were thrilled because it was a story about you know, a woman who, decided, who chose liberation. Uh, so, you know, hence Lilith Fair and, like, all that other stuff. You know, in Lilith Magazine, right, she became sort of the star of the, of the you know, the spiritual feminist movement. Um, and the Zohar has a very particular take on Lilith in which she's sort of like the, the other side of the Shechina. In the Zohar, there's, um, right, there's all the Sfirot, the, the, right, the, the Chesed and the Gibor, all the Sfirot, and then there are these mirror Sfirot that are the demonic Sfirot, and Lilith is the, is the demon version of the Shechina. So just as God, like the Holy One of Blessing and the Shechina are married, Lilith and, and uh, Satan are married. And get this, when God is um, angry with the Shechina, when God and the Shechina are separated, who do you think God goes to hang out with? Lilith, Lilith becomes God's... There are, Lilith... <laughs> so just so you believe me... All right. So, so God goes to um, God sleeps with Lilith when the Shechina is not available. So, just so you don't think I'm making this up, it's on page sixty-nine. This is well. This is. I'm going to show you the Zohar. I'm going to show you a commentary on the Zohar. You have to finish. Um, so, uh, um, so here, Isaac ben Joseph a Cohen, who's a comment, he's commenting on the Lilith, on on the on the Zohar. He says, Samael, the great prince and great king over all the demons, cohabits with the great matron Lilith, um, and then oh, then there's a, a lesser Lilith. Um, the, um, um, so that's the you know so um, so that's Samael and Lilith. Samael is another name for Satan. But in the second text, which is the, is the Zohar, there's actually a lot of texts about this. This is just one. So Adon is the holy, Adonai is the holy blessed one, as Adonai, to judge all the types of judgments of the evil slave girl who usurps her mistress. So that's Lilith. She's the, uh, for from her all the damages emerge, for they are the angels of destruction. And from them come the souls of the wicked, as has been explained by the masters of the Mishnah. 
And the souls of the wicked, these are the demons of the world, the mazikim. Um, and, oh, and if you turn the page to page 68, all right, we have learned one day the companions were walking. So here's one of these meditative sessions with Rabbi Shimon. And Rabbi Shimon said, I've seen that the nations are all above us in stature and Israel is below them all, right? Meaning Israel is not in its proper place. We're being oppressed. We're being uh, downtrodden. Why is this? Because the king has sent away from him his mistress, right, the Gvira, the Metronita, he sent away the Shechina, and has brought a slave girl in her place. Right. Um, and the slave girl has usurped her mistress. Okay, so there's a lot more. Oh, and here's the Omer. Um, um, if you look at the second paragraph, so this is for the second day of Pesach, and you shall wave the Omer, right, on the second day of Passover. This mitzvah is to sacrifice the Omer sacrifice, the grain sacrifice, this is when the mistress and her children come together, the Shechina and her children come together, and Israel in their purity sacrifice the Omer, and the sacrifices from barley, and thus they sacrificed in order to instigate love between the wife and her husband. That means between the Shechina and the Holy One of Blessing. And the wife of whoredom distances herself between them. Right? So in other words, when the Shechina and, and, the, and God are not together, then Lilith is making trouble. So I think really the Zohar imagines that the, this is the other side of the Shechina. Like what does it mean to say that God is also with Lilith, right? It means that, right, that, right, that there's this, the Shechina has this sort of other side, this, you know, this, this downward side, or, and, um, and, and Lilith is it. Um, and when, uh, when we do things to bring the, the bride and the groom together, right, in the Zohar conception, you know, one of the advantage of that is that God, you know, stops messing around with Lilith, which causes all kinds of problems, as you can imagine. So, uh, so that's the that's the on one foot Lilith version. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so now the Eve wasn't demonized enough. They had to find Lilith, right? They they had to actually split off Lilith to uh, to save Eve. So how is Lilith worried? Well, Lilith is certainly monster. I mean, she's demonic. She's portrayed as having, you know thousands of children who all, you know, die, and then she has thousands more children. I mean, there's, there's a really grotesque uh, portrayal of what Lilith looks like, you know, not about looks like, I mean, she's also supposed to be very beautiful, but, you know, what she is, you know, she has this, and of course they see her as monster because she's, she's this, you know, you know, she steals babies, right, she's an unnatural woman, right, she doesn't stay with her husband, and then she, and she doesn't want any babies, she doesn't care if her babies die, and she steals babies, um, you know, and she, um, you know, she's aggressive, you know, um, she's, she's sexually aggressive, right? There's, there's all kinds of things about her that are, are demon, you know, are demonized. Right? These are the things that, about women that are scary for the Kabbalists, right? So they project them onto Lilith. I just can't help thinking about, like, that, you know, all the movies that you see with, like, every lesbian, you know, is a murderer and also kills every, you know, kills everybody. And then in the end, she has to die of all the death because that's the only solution that you couldn't have this woman exist on the earth. You couldn't have that kind of right. person success, be successful in any fashion. Right. And so I just keep thinking that it's, it's like that, like, that she's sexually free, she's aggressive, she does what she wants. Right. And then it just seems... Right, and therefore she's a demon. Right, yeah. right. For me, it, it makes sense that as um, a culture that needed to understand um, serious things, they assigned it to a god. So they mm. created um, a god who took babies, there was infant death, or right. a right. god who, right. um, you know, took husbands away from wives when right. men were, you know... Well, Lilith is an explanation for nocturnal omission, right? I mean, that's part of, you right. know, it's so like... she's blamed for all the things right. that... 
you know, just like right. the cultures that assign God yeah. to all sorts of natural things. Right, right. I think I think that's really true. I think that Lilith was an explanation for you know why do babies suddenly die in their crib? You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know. it doesn't it also? But didn't? But did it serve as a you know warning for women to behave in certain ways? And oh sure, not oh a male sure. God. It was a female God who yeah. came and took away Absolutely, babies. absolutely. So, I mean, you know, don't behave like this. Because the, the, mo the most useful thing a woman could do was to make a baby, is to make a god that took away babies and right. make her female. And was females, because she did these mm. things that were not okay to be female. Right. I, mean, I think that's absolutely right. I yeah. find Lilith very, very comforting. Hmm. Because, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> you know, sometimes in Shul, David will say, don't we all wish we could have a do-over day? Hmm. And I sort of see Lilith as my do-over the things that I do that maybe I'm not proud of, that I wish I hadn't done, but they're very much from me and a mm. part of me. Mm. Um, and it's a piece of me that may not be very pretty. Mm. 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 What I'm connecting to and what you're saying, Judy, is the sense that, that even the, that the, that the Shlina has this other side, you know, that God has another side, right? On, on a larger cosmic level, when the Kabbalah says, you know, talks about the demonic, you know, they're saying, you know, the world has ugliness in it, right? The world has suffering in it. Like, we can, you know, we can, you know, flee to the, you know, to the place that, you know, where everything feels okay. And that place is real. But, you know, this other stuff is also real. And to their, their cosmic worldview included, you know, that there was, you know, that there was breakage. There wasn't just wholeness. Um, and, you know, Lilith was, a, you know, was an aspect of that. And, you know, it was all, Lilith is also everything that Judith just said. It's also a way of keeping women in line, and, it, you know, it, it had all those aspects to it. Um, Wait, so why but, did God hang out? What's the story on that? <laughs> well, I think that basically what, what the big Kabbalistic fear is that when things are not in union, when, when, you know, when the God force is not unified, then the demonic creeps in. And it happens in all different kinds of ways in the Kabbalistic literature, right? That, that when, and, and of course, we're responsible for this, right? So it's the biggest, you know, responsibility trip, right? That when we are not doing mitzvot, when we're not making sure that the bride, right, that Shechina and, you know, the other wrote are in union, right, then all kinds of other things can happen. You know, then, uh, then the demonic can creep in to what, you know, should be, you know, a secure whole relationship, so to say that, you know, God, you know, runs off with Lilith, you know, is to basically say that when the divine is broken, right, it then couples with, you know, it then couples with, the, with brokenness, with, with, you know, with, the, with evil. And the only way to prevent that is to, is to recreate the wholeness, is to, is, to, is to help rebuild the cosmic wholeness. By doing mitzvot. Right? By doing mitzvot, right, by, uh, right, by being on Shabbat, right, right all those... Uh, uh, studying Torah, all those things. Yeah. It'd <laughs> be nice. Okay. All right. So let's take a minute. You really just have a minute, but So we won't do the the uh, the yoga warrior pose, but in your mind you can. Uh, just sitting with the breath. So I want to invite you to imagine that you're walking in a landscape, outside somewhere, could be anywhere. 
and you come to an edge. Could be the edge of a river, it could be a cliff, it could be the edge of a street. And as you stand there at the edge, the Shechina comes to you, however you understand that being, in full strength. And you are there face to face, witnessing that strength. What does it look like? What does it feel like? And in that moment, the Shechina invites you to step off the edge. Maybe this is easy for you, or maybe it's very scary. I invite you to summon up your own strength, your own resources, and step off the edge with the Shechina. And whatever happens, the Shechina will be there with you to keep you safe. And be with whatever happens now, wherever you end up, wherever you go. You come through the journey off the edge to a place of rest, and the Shechina now tells you something about your own inner strength, something you need to know. And after she tells you this, she brings you back to the place where you began, she or it or however you understand the Shechina, and touches your heart and spend a moment feeling the strengthening of the energy of the divine. Maybe put your hand on your heart. And now the Shechina departs and you walk back to where you started and feeling the strength of whatever you were told and whatever you felt, come back to this room. Call to you from the deep.